All right, welcome to The Searchers Podcast, where we are constantly exploring the cinematic landscape to find those movies that may be in need of a reevaluation of modern audiences, or maybe they just don't get enough looks. And we're here to bring you those movies. This week, I am joined with Ben. Say hi, Ben. Hey, what's up, guys? Very cool. Very cool. Uh, So Ben and I are going to talk about a movie that I picked this week. We're going to go back to the 80s. Three years prior to the last movie we reviewed from 19, you know, last movie we reviewed was from 1991. And uh, this time we are reviewing a movie called Cop from 1988 starring James Woods and Charles Durning. So... Where do we want to start, Ben? Yeah, uh, wherever you want to, Christopher. Uh, but yeah, the the movie Cop, directed by James B. Harris, who I literally never have heard of until now. Um, he worked with uh, he actually worked with James Wood more James Woods more than once. But before I, I guess before we get into the movie, this is all James Wood A little J- production. Say again, sorry. I said uh, cover a little bit of the production. No, I was just I was just going to ask you what's your opinion or like what's your uh, experience with James Woods because I, I kind of know him from you know recent years and being in the media and I, I know him from like you know Hercules Disney's Hercules the animated movie and I think he was in a television show like a he was either a lawyer I think he was a, a hotshot lawyer called Shark um, but besides that like yeah I kind of his seventies and eighties, nineties movies or, or television. I'm kind of, uh, I'm just not really well versed in that. So yeah. Did you watch anything that he's already been, you know, that he was in that we should know about? So Hercules is probably the earliest memory of James Woods and not knowing that he actually voiced Hades at the time. Of course, I learned that later and other than that, I think the first film I ever saw James Woods in was Cronenberg's Videodrome. And I saw that, I must have been 17 at the time, and I loved it. He had an awesome screen presence, and it, it really matched the grunginess of the movie. So, have you seen Videodrome? Uh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, that's... A- I guess kind of on my watch list. I've I'm a little um weary because I'm not a horror guy. You like Cronenberg? I cannot I could not tell you besides that movie, I could not tell you one movie that he's either made or written or produced or okay. anything. What give me a give me a, a thirty second introduction on into that guy. I, I know the name. That's so, about it. <clears throat> Cronenberg is associated with the subgenre of body horror. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) he has a lot of films where there's body dysmorphia or weird things happen via viruses or some sort of contact with other humans. And this is really generic, by the way. So, but his, his films really dive into that. So in Videodrome, the, the body horror part of that movie is it focuses on the media and how the media of the time 
sort of affects the psyche of people. And there's a few excellent scenes in that one where James Woods is experiencing things happening to him. And it's, it's, it's kind of trippy, but it's, it's an excellent movie. I really like it. So if you're, if you're going to attempt Cronenberg, maybe I'm giving you bad advice. Maybe it's not the best place to start, but um, I video drum video drum was my first. So yeah, I'm looking at his fil- yeah. filmography now and I've actually seen two of his movies, which do not fit that bill. Cause they are probably later in his career, a history of violence with uh, Viggo Mortensen and Eastern and, and Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen. So yes, I've seen both. Cle- yes. Clearly, he yes. liked working with the uh, what was he from New Zealand, the the uh, Kiwi actor. But um, I don't think those those are later in his career. So obviously, eighties, nineties, maybe seventies. He's he's doing. I've heard of Videodrome. I'm looking at the filmography, so I have it readily available. But uh, he did the fly, yeah. the fly, which I know about, but have no interest in seeing because I'm just not into that but video drum is it like super graphic horror or is it kind of just like psychological i would say that it's a equal combination of the two and i would say the graphic nature of it sort of matches what we've seen in cop okay so it's not like super bad compared to like a lot of the i'd say, last it's, I'd say it's not bad but i'm but what we see in cop is pretty shocking. I I think when you first see it, yeah, I thought it was. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So, and then as far as James Woods goes, I've seen him in a handful of other things. So if you've ever seen Salvador, that was a Oliver Stone picture that he was in prior to cop. I seen a TV movie he was in starring alongside Rafik, uh, Yafik Koto called badge of the assassin, where he plays a lawyer and um, of course, another a big role of his was Once Upon a Time in America by Sergio Leone, his last movie. Um, so I've seen I've seen a handful of things with James Woods and I like him as an actor. So, yeah, I've seen that. Is that where is that where you were? I've seen. Are you do you like James? Oh, yeah, I love him. Uh, I love him for a lot of reasons. But uh, Once Upon a Time in America, I watched in the last couple of years, but I guess how I forgot he was in it. But he's a lot younger, so it's just kind of jarring now that he's like you know this old silver fox with like just totally white hair just looks completely different so i don't even think they're the same person um right i've seen contact which has probably been like 20 years so it's almost almost as if i haven't seen it don't remember a minute so uh, i guess he did a, a voice in surfs up that pe- penguin animal surfing movie from like the er- the late aughts yes I do not remember who he voiced, so inconsequential again. And one again, I, I don't remember him at all in this movie, but Casino, he's in that. So I don't really. I actually haven't seen Casino. Uh, it's worth watching at least once. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll. Maybe you won't. But I mean, I'd re- I'd stay with Goodfellas in my opinion. But I'm not big on Scorsese, so. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not like a diehard or anything. I like some of his movies. I haven't seen them all. Or but no. you appreciate. Yeah, I guess I appreciate certain films, but yeah, not, I think overall not, I, not not big. I think he's made good films, but I think he's overrated by the general audience only because his name is always out there and like the, you know, it's always out there in the in the zeitgeist. So people always think, oh, when they think of good directors, they think of him. It's like, all right, well, you've literally watched no movies 
from before 1980, so your p- opinion is kind of invalid. But regardless, uh, we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. So, so James Wood stars here in Cop, and he's alongside Charles Durning, great character actor. Never. What? What? And, what what's a, a movie that he's in that I would I'd maybe know because I've never heard of that guy's name. Well. Since uh, I'm not clicking off off the top of my head, I'd have to look that up myself. Even though I know I've seen movies with Mr. Durning. Okay, so he was in in them. Yeah, I've seen a few, but I guess he yeah character actor Dick Tracy. I like that one a lot, and I don't remember who he plays. Yes. And it says that he's in Scarface, which I enjoyed. Um, but regardless, yes. okay, so he's a character actor. That's probably why I don't remember him. But I, yeah, I, I agree. Character actor agreed. Very yes. very good role. I I really enjoyed his character in this one. Um, he's your Dutch uncle. Yeah. Don't, but, but before you get into any more details about the movie, uh, story or anything, um, just want to say, yeah, this movie was from 88, but it was also based on a book by James Elroy, uh, called blood on the moon, uh, from 1984. So James Elroy, do you have any experiences with him? Absolutely zero. Really? Yes, you, that I know. Are of. you sure? Well, I mean, and I meant like, do you have have you? Yeah. No. <laughs> I meant, have you seen any of his uh, movies that he's written for? Because he's you know pr- prolific uh, crime book writer. So I am unaware if I have. Okay, so have you? It may very well be that I have, but have you seen? Yeah. Have you seen um, Black Dahlia? Oh yes, I have. So he wrote that. I did not like that. Yeah, he hated it. I uh, mean, he doesn't. He well, it's all right. He basically he basically has said in in the past that he never really liked any of the movies that that he wrote the book and then they were adapted in Hollywood. He didn't like any of them except this one, which I hope you've seen. But if you've not, you must. Uh, L.A. Confi- okay. L.A. Confidential. Oh yes, I have. Yeah, he he says that's that's a good adaptation of one of his books, but. Yeah, James Elroy is a, a definitely a character. There's a lot you can, Is he a crazy guy or just Well, he's he's out so in the 90s We don't have to get into it if it's going to be too much. But. No, no. In the 90s and early 2000s he was pretty He's been I mean, he did a movie uh or I don't know if he wrote a book or he just wrote the script, but Street Kings, Keanu Reeves was in it, uh Forrest Whitaker, that was like in the Mid two thousands, I think. Oh, you um, mentioned that last episode. Did I? You mentioned Street Kings last episode. Yes, you okay. did. Okay. Uh, Dark Blue, Kurt Russell, early two thousand. Scott Speedman, a couple other actors that are pretty famous. Scott Speedman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a name you don't hear anymore, right? Not at all. Uh, I don't know what he fell off, but. No, that's cool. Okay, so, so he he has got he does a lot of he's prolific. Well, book book wise, yes movies that have been covered or sorry ad- adapted from his books not there's only like a handful let's say nine or ten maybe um but I, la confidential is one of my favorite movies i when we chose cop to cover i was like oh i really want to watch la confidential in conjunction <laughs> in conjunction with this uh you know this podcast episode wasn't able to unfortunately i didn't have enough time but i highly recommend you watch that and on that well, I, it would be an excellent double bill. Oh my gosh. 
I some people probably don't if some people have seen it, they probably think it's overrated, but I think it it's one of those that was an interesting interesting way to say those. Um <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those movies that like big Russell Crowe guy, he's in it. And it came out like 97. So like I saw Gladiator with him when I was really young, probably shouldn't have been watching it. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that on our, the first episode. Um, but my dad and I were always big fans of Russell Crowe. So I always remember like, this might be one of the first movies I saw that you can consider like a noir. Yes. And I think this movie, would you consider a cop a noir or a neo-noir or whatever? I suppose it could be, but I think it really f- sort of falls into the general gritty crime thriller. Yeah. More I'm than sure. I'm sure that's why Elroy probably like did not like it, but um. But this is this is the thing, right? So when you get into genre discussions, which I wouldn't say I'm great at, but when you get into genre discussions, there's always the trouble of defining the noir. So that could be a whole other conversation. Oh, this for is another per- time. So great that you so. so great that you brought that up. So James Elroy, wonderful. Yeah, James Elroy in the documentary film noir, bringing darkness into light from 2006. Uh, I have not seen, but it is on YouTube, and I skimmed through it to watch a couple of those. There's a bunch of different people um, in the, okay. there's a bunch of different filmmakers, actors. Uh, let's just say Christopher Nolan's in that Henry Rollins, Paul Schrader, okay. Paul Schrader. Oh, Lily Finney's a in that documentary actually. So oh. boom. Uh, <laughs> so might be worth checking out. It's on YouTube for free. But so in that documentary, he literally says this film nor the genre he's talking about film noir is okay. quote unquote you're fucked um that's what he that's what he says so no, he doesn't he that's what he says yes really yes so i didn't why does he say it oh you're it just means you're fucked like in the in in a film noir the main character is fucked no matter what oh you're fucked okay um fatalism so his th- baby yeah, his, his three aspects of a film noir are, are institutional corruption sexual obsession and psychological duress of the main character, which I think we almost have that trifecta here, but I would say the, the, the institutional corruption isn't really there. It's more like, I guess, bureaucracy. Yeah. And I really wouldn't agree with all three of those definitions or part of the definition of a noir. Actually, I think only the third part really sort of fits a noir, but see, this is what I mean because well, you don't want to you don't want to argue with a guy who's written like fifty books on it. But re- yeah, regardless, I mean, who am I? So, I'm, so that, I'm just a humble I'm just a humble guy. So I yeah, exactly. I basically all I was trying to say is that's where he's coming from. But James Elroy, I've never read any of his books, but seen seen five out of the four or five out of the ten nine or ten movies that they've been adapted from. So I kind of like I like his work. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, you recommended it. That's the whole reason we're covering this. I, I recommended Red Peony Gambler, and you recommended Cop, and we both enjoyed them. So that's great. But yeah, J- yes. James now- James Elroy, his background for this is kind of fucked up. His mom, when he was really young, okay. you, you you need to listen to like three or four of this guy's interviews with other people. Like he had a really fucked up upbringing and his mom like would beat him and all this stuff under the age of 10. Like I'm talking about bleeding, all the weird stuff. And then his mom literally went missing and was found murdered 
under the age of 10. Oh. So like. What? Yes. He he fixated on the Black Dahlia stuff because of his mom. He's really in. So I'm not a James Elroy expert by any means, but I'm just. This is just what you looked up. I knew about this when I've looked him up before, but I looked it up again, you know, researched it again for this episode and interesting, interesting guy. He's probably not very liked today in the mainstream. He professes himself as a right winger, um, you know, hates Obama. So automatically hate, not popular. Hates Obama. I mean, I think he hated Bush too. He hated Clinton. And this is all back when he was popular. And he's like, he's on um, all those late night shows with like Conan and stuff. Like they had him on his shows, on their shows. So like he he had an end in Hollywood at, at one point, but I don't think he's since Black Dahlia came out in 2006. I don't think he's made a movie. Don't don't quote me on that, but I'm I'm guessing he has not made a movie in Hollywood or like provided a script since. Oh, it was be Street Kings like 08. So I'm sure okay. right around probably when he was being really outspoken about Obama, he just kind of got, hey, you're out, you're done. Well, the dudes, the dudes coming up on he's like 70, 80 years old. Yeah, he's like 75 yeah. or something, right? Yeah, so he I'm sure he's not in the spotlight at all anymore. Maybe he's still writing. Oh, he's still writing. He's still writing. That's cool. Yeah, I want to check him out. All right, I want to check him out. Um, but yeah, one one more thing about him. Sorry to cut you off, but one more No, no, no. Please continue. I was just watching a bunch of videos on him. Yeah, so he basically in one of the videos, he kind of gave his like top film noirs. Um and The Prowler 1951, Sunset Boulevard 1950, Double Indemnity 1944, The Lineup, 1958, Border Incident, 1949, and He Walked by Night, 1948. Okay. So you can see where this yeah. guy's getting his inspiration, right? Those those classic... Clearly. Those, cl- Clearly, those, yeah. those classic, um, what we think of as noir. So I think if you do think about it, the three aspects he said are in this film. Maybe they... They're in this film, Cop, but maybe they're not in all noir. I'm not, I'm not a noir, noir expert whatsoever, I've probably only seen like 15 to 20 of them. I'm sure you've seen more than me, right? Yeah, film noir is a favorite genre of mine. I don't know how many I've seen, but I've seen more than that for sure. Yeah, so I really don't know much more about James Elroy than that. But um, No, this is all right. This is good context for Cop. Yeah, so, so. that's kind of that right there. His mother was murdered when he was under the age of 10 he was kind of fixated on these female victims, these famous victims back in the, you know, fifties, sixties, maybe forty. When was black Dahlia? fifties, right? I think it was fifties. Um, I believe that's correct. So that's where he's coming from and why he probably, in a lot of his stories, there's probably, a lot, I would, I would guess, I don't know. There's a lot of female victims and well, so that, so that, so that ties into cop, right? Exactly. So that, so the whole, thing with cop is james wood's character has an obsession with people who treat women badly so in this case he's after someone who's terrorizing them and we learn that he's a married man who also has a very young daughter so there's an interesting thing that we grapple with here as a viewer because we see him as this friendly guy with a stable life but then we see how he works as a cop and he's a great cop 
in the sense that he's so familiar with how people do things and get into their habits that he can sort of cut corners and get the arrest that he needs. So there's an interesting balance between how he does that, how he does his job, and how he wants to raise his daughter, I guess would be the way to put that. Well, he's obsessive, right? Yes. He like has to, I mean, yeah. So the daughter thing, I was, I was going to say for you, I think you really relate to that, right? <laughs> so well, absolutely. I, I can see yeah. you, I can see why you really enjoy this movie or at least one aspect of it. You can really, you know, just relate to, um, but I think, I think James Woods' character, uh, what was his name? Lloyd Hopkins, I think. Lloyd Hopkins, that's correct. Yeah, I really. Do we want to get into the story a little bit? Um, yeah, let's just start digging into so, it. So I mean, I was just gonna say, I really yeah. what you to build off what you just said. I really, really think that first, that first scene where he goes and he goes to that apartment and finds the dead woman there was like yes. so defining of his character. Like he keeps, he's going around this apartment in the beginning of the movie in the first five, 10 minutes. And he finds this lady. I think she's, she's like hung upside down and someone cut her open pretty bad. It's it's, she's been dead. Flattered. She's been dead for a while. Cause there's cockroaches. There's blood outside the bedroom door with cockroaches in the blood. So it's clearly been days and he goes in there and he's like, you know, just absolutely disgusted and just his reaction to he's shaken. Yeah. He's, he's clearly shaken at what he's seen. And he, and the scene before we see him go to this house, he's at the police station and he's telling his assistant, I need you to go do this, 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 and this. Why, you know, why did we not pick this up? How come this piece of evidence isn't working this way? And he's teaching this, his assistant, all the ins and outs of from his own experiences. So that scene gives us such a good idea of how great of a cop he is. And then we see him go into this house. He takes the call in the office. And then the next scene, he's investigating this, this place that you're describing where he finds the woman. Yeah, and he keeps, he keeps, all right. So like the way they frame it is he finds the body. He's like, Holy shit, you know, whatever. He's just, oh, I can't believe it. Goes down, starts looking through her things at her desk, like behind, you know, in a, in like a another room, but you can still see the bedroom. And they have her body in the background, and it's, it's his face. Um, and he just keeps looking behind him, and he's just like totally cannot believe beside himself. Yeah, yeah, he's beside himself, and he lights up a cigarette. Yeah, you know, he's trying to calm his nerves. That's probably what James Woods used to do when he turned on Twitter, he logged on Twitter every day. <laughs> That's what well, I. Well, besides that, so <laughs> so he's so th- right away. First two scenes, you have an you have an excellent dichotomy of his character. You have how he works as a cop, ex- you know, in 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 his excellent ways, you know, because he hasn't cut any corners yet per se. And then how he is beside himself when he sees a victim. So you kind of see what gets him. You see what gets him motivated right from the get go. And then following that scene. I believe he's we see him at home. Correct. 
Yeah, he, he goes home and he immediately like just wakes his daughter. I mean, it's got to be ten or eleven at night at least, and he goes and wakes his daughter up and starts talking to her. And it's kind of you know, I think at one point she's like, "Daddy, did you have a bad day?" And he's like, "How'd you know?" And she's like, "You you always shake a little bit." Yeah. And just the way he talks to her, he's talking to her. She's like a she's younger than ten. She what maybe seven or eight? I I don't know. I'd say seven. Yeah. yeah seven and he's eight, talking yeah. to her like she's a twenty five year old. And he just has this relationship with her with where he just thinks the world of her and treats her treats her as an adult and starts telling her about his cases. Well, and this is really important. So this this scene, other than the fantastic intro, where we get a great idea of his character, you have this incredibly important scene with his daughter, how he treats her, and then immediately following that moment with his daughter he has a moment in the next room after he tucks her in says goodnight he has a conversation with his wife so yes this this scene with his wife is it's it's a really good moment and it's pivotal to the theme work of the movie i don't know do you want to talk about it a little bit in those you know, two to three minutes of him talking to his wife, he basically, they basically show us that this guy has a terrible, terrible marriage and it's probably because of his work. And his wife is super unhappy with him that he would bring up his, you know, murder cases with his seven-year-old daughter. Straight up tells her, maybe not all the details, but tells her enough what's happening. Enough. Yes, enough. Exactly. You wouldn't talk to a, a seven-year-old about people getting killed, probably. Well, and, and he's clearly using cop verbiage. He calls the privatized dicks. He and he says a few other quick shorthand names in the story. In the bedtime story, he tells his daughter. So, yeah, you wouldn't talk to a seven-year-old that way. So, when he's when we see this next scene with him and his wife you get the hint that the marriage isn't great or it's currently in a rough spot. But the important part of this moment is his monologue that he has to his wife because he, he defends, he defends the reason why he is like he is with his daughter and whether that's right or wrong, it's a different, that's a different story. But what's vital to the purveying theme of the movie, which I think is brilliant is he he unloads his whole perspective on how women in particular or little girls are disillusioned by myths by fantasies by things that are people lying to them exactly so he i mean he clearly sees it as a lie it doesn't necessarily mean that all of those are things are lies but he has a problem with it because it's a form of disillusionment. And this will, this will come up later. So like when we talk about another important scene later in the movie, I'm going to bring this scene back up, but this moment's excellent. And and it's a very important part of the movie that again, helps define his character, but it also it's, it, it, it's the undergird of the main theme of the movie. Because let's not forget that this film takes place in Hollywood. What happens in Hollywood? People go there to fulfill their dreams. 
there's illusionment, disillusionment, there's fantasy. So all these things are are already told to us via the setting before we even know the characters. And then and then when he comes out right out with the word illusionment, all these things start to connect a little bit. So I don't know if you picked up on this. I, I think you read my one of my reviews already on Letterboxd, but I think this is a brilliant Elroy and James B. Harris who penned the screenplay. They they really hit into something here that I think works. I totally agree. I really enjoy this movie. I'm I'm really happy that you uh, recommended it to me, and uh, we're doing the show. I recommended it to you. Yes. Yeah. So James Woods, his character is, it's he's kind of. It seems like like you said in the beginning where he's just picking apart. You know, all these guys are all these people are coming up to him in the police station. He's just picking apart their cases so quick. It seems like he's more or less a genius when it comes to solving. In a way, in a way he's kind of like a savant, but yeah, I mean, he's the idea is he's really experienced, but also he's very, he's extremely experienced. And he's also just going to say really good at what he does because he has the experience. He, he, there's that aspect of him. There's the, Hey, I have a family and a daughter so he's very sensitive to female victims. Yes. He so he's got all that he's got all that good stuff going for him. And then you see the other side of him where he's just a sleazy piece of garbage. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yes. He does everything he he says, he, everything he criticizes, he does himself. Yes. He he cheats he cheats on his wife. He well, that's the really big one. But he, like you said earlier, he cuts corners. He does what he has to do to get the job done because he knows that X Y, you know, whoever X Y Z happened because this person did it. He knows it, and he could probably prove it. But he knows that hey, I only have probably this little window of time to get this person. Yes. Well, he knows. Or if, he, if I he go, knows up, the, he knows. Sorry, <laughs> I was gonna say he he knows the reality of the situation. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, I was just gonna say he's he knows when he goes to his line he goes through the line of command. There's no way in hell he's getting the job done because they're just gonna put up roadblocks unnecessarily because it's just Hint, the way they hinting run at things, the bureaucracy right? point you were making before. Yeah, and he like you said, um I forget his name in the movie, but Charles during Dutch, character. Uncle Dutch. Dutch. Yeah, so Dutch Pelts. Dutch Dutch Pelts. Lloyd Hopkins goes to his boy Dutch whenever he needs something done because he knows Dutch is his boy and he's I think he's maybe one rank ahead of him so he'll like do exactly. favors for him and they'll they'll do they'll scratch each other's backs to get the job done and Dutch is on board with it but Dutch gets promoted to captain and once you get promoted to captain you kind of have a lot of eyes on you so you can't be pulling too many strings you have to be kind of yes. follow the book um, and that's kind of a a big back and forth in the second half of the movie where he he no longer has the help he once had uh, Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Hop- yeah Lloyd, Lloyd Hopkins doesn't have that big brother anymore he he kind of has another superior instead which I thought was yes. interesting I don't know if I'm going out of order but I'm going to say fine. it anyway this movie this movie reminds me a lot not not it's not totally similar but it reminds me a lot of Dirty Harry well, um, that's 
funny that you bring that up because it that's it got its title. So originally it was called Blood on the Moon, which was the name of the novel, right? Yep. But Atlantic, which was the studio behind the picture, decided to retitle the film Cop because they were concerned that people would think it was a slasher movie. So they, they changed it as a marketing campaign to sell the film as an action thriller similar to Dirty Harry. Hmm. So they had so, that vision in mind. So it is similar in a few aspects, but it's very different in other aspects too. Yes. Because in Dirty Harry, he kind of bends the rules. But in the end of the day, he's not going to just... Well, the first movie for Dirty Harry, because he does break the rules in, in the subsequent uh, sequels. But in the first one, he kind of does what he has to do, but he still does it within the rules until it's too late. Like, well, we're not going to get into Dirty Harry's plot, but. It's a good comparison. I like where your head's at. Dirty Harry's like one of my f- favorite movies of all time. Um, and he also has the, the big parallel I see is he has that bureaucracy in his way where he thinks, hey, I know what's right, I know how to get the job done, and you guys are just in the way, and innocent people are dying because of your bullshit rules. And that's kind of the same way here, but the character's different, the the two characters are different, because James Wood just plays a super, he plays a super good role, in like the sleazy character, he plays it very well. Yeah. Even though he's really sleazy, and you don't want to be like him, it's still like an attractive... It's still like a audience pleaser, right? So like it he, really is. He's, yeah. Yes. He does all the things that you wish you could do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that's entirely true, and that actually kind of speaks to the ending, but we're not going to get there yet. So not yet. Not yet. But what you just said speaks leaps and bounds about the ending and why the ending is so good. So. I want. I just want to touch off of what you were you saying about the relationship with Hopkins and Dutch. So great, great point that you brought up there. But this brings up a whole other aspect of the movie that works for me, and I think I think it's even meant this way from Harris and Elroy. But the movie's gritty. It's. It's it covers a lot of the thriller genre, but it's also pretty funny. So, like, there's some scenarios, some contextual scenarios. I'm not going to sell this as a comedy. It's not. It's just that there's some really good dialogue and there's some really good contextual situations that are. After seeing them happen a few times, it gets it gets, I get a, it gets a chuckle out of me. So what I mean by that is that the whole thing that you were bringing up with Hopkins and Dutch and how he Hopkins always calls Dutch for some help. We see him call him for help four or five times throughout the movie. And by like the fourth time, it kind of gets a little funny with the way that Dutch reacts to like, you know, he's rubbing his head and he's like, I can't believe you're making me do all this crap <laughs> for you. And it, it, it all, it, it makes me chuckle. I, d- I don't know if you got that vibe it, at all. Is that the scene? Is that the scene where, He's cleaning up one of his messes and he's just like, you did this in the morning. You did this at noon. You're doing this in the afternoon. And like, so like, what are you doing for dinner? Like, it's just crazy. Yes, well, that and and on one phone call, he's got a character we haven't named yet. In, in the Dutch has got the character 
in his office and he's like, look, I'm getting a complaint right now from this person that you were with. And he's like, I need you down here right now so we can straighten this out. And Hopkins <laughs> tells him right back. He's like, um, I actually kind of can't do that right now because I killed the cop. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like that part, I, that part. I know what scene you're talking about. Yes, that part I think is funny, but there's also, a lot of funny. I mean, but there's the, another, but there, yeah. So I wanted to list another funny part, which at the very beginning of the movie, before we got those scenes that we talked about, where we were analyzing his character, when the credits are rolling, there's a pretty funny moment where you're hearing a voiceover and it's some dude talking on a payphone trying to get a hold of 911 because he heard something violent happen in the apartment where he was walking by and the dude's just talking to himself or talking to the phone and he's mad at the phone because it's not giving him it's not bringing him to 911 and it's not bringing him to the operator do you know do you remember this do you remember how the yes. movie starts i i was going to say the intro is actually really good the intro is really good but it's it's funny because the guy's just talking to himself and he's like, he can't get a hold of 911. Um, what city, please? Uh, yo, is this information? I want information. For what city, please? <clears throat> uh, like I'm in Hollywood and I want to report a murder. What number do I have to call, you know? One moment, please. All right, cool. Thank you for calling. Oh, you're welcome. The Los Angeles Police Emergency Number is... Yo, 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 can't, can't you connect me? 911. Can't you connect Once me? again, the number is... Oh, sweat, nine sweat. Yo, yo. One, one. Uh, oh, man. Damn. Fuck, where's my fucking quality piece of shit machine? Damn. Man. I gotta call him again. Be home like watching the Flintstones. You have reached the city of Los Angeles Police Emergency Dispatch Center. All our Yo. lines are busy. Hello. Do not hang up. An operator will answer your call in the order it's received. Okay, yeah, and I'm first. This is la línea de emergencia de la ciudad de Los Angeles. Todas nuestras líneas están Yo, 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 yo. I don't speak no Spanish. Una operadora you too, Lupe. Can I like speak to somebody else? You have reached the city of Los Angeles Police Emergency. It's like a computer, right? Hello? Fuck you. Damn. Why am I even doing this shit, man? I can't afford it. Down the last quarter. Let me try the damn operator. Maybe she knows what's going on. Operator? Yeah. Hey, yo, ho, hey. Listen, I'm trying to report a murder and I can't get no one. Nobody. Have you tried calling the police? I ain't got no more money. I'm like down on my stolen credit cards. Can I use them? One moment. I'll connect you. And it was a great way to kind of bring us into the police station. So anyway, my point of bringing that up was just to connect to what you said about um, Dutch and Hopkins relationship. I just wanted to say that there are funny aspects to the film, some pretty brilliant one liners, some good other contextual scenarios that are set up. It's, it's a really, it's a really well-made movie. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm going to build upon the the funny part. I got a lot of the funny, you know, I got a, my, a lot of chuckles and, and a few laughs, like two or three laughs, like actually like, can't believe he just said that. Um, 
from the dialogue, I think it was really cleverly written. Yes. Um, there, there are some language in there, like, you know, a lot of curse words that you can't say anymore that at the time they were used, I was like, wow, that's funny. I don't know. I don't think that's from Elroy. I, I want to say his, he probably, the book was, you know, fitted to the script because I think there are some big changes. One. Eris uh, could have done that. I think, I think he did because he, in the book, Lloyd Hopkins has three daughters and in this movie oh, he has one. Okay. So as with three daughters, it's like, wow, if you had three daughters, yeah, you can see him being obsessive about women victims. Um, a, a three daughters and a wife. I mean, it's just common, kind of common sense, but yeah. So the, the production company actually is kind of interesting. So, yeah, so tell us about Woods, that. Yeah, so so James Woods and uh, his name's James B. Harris, right? Yeah. Correct. So they worked on a movie in 82. What was it called? Fast Talking, was it? I really want to see it, that movie. I haven't seen it. No. But. Fast, walk, fast Walking, my fast bad. Walking, fast Walking, yes. So they worked on a movie, and this seems really similar to a mo- another movie production company we we, uh, we talked about earlier in the podcast on the episode Big Country. So they worked on a movie, and then four years later, they f- they f- form a production company called Woods Harris Productions that only, wa- only made one movie, which was this movie. Okay. So that's similar to the Big Country, William Wyler and... Gregory Peck made Anthony productions and for just that one movie. So I just thought that was kind of funny. Uh, they, they never made another movie together. James Woods and, uh, James B. James Harris. B. Ha- yeah. James B. Harris. James squared. But James, yes. But James B. Harris was a producer a lot in his career. Uh, he was on, he was in, uh, he was a producer on the killing, which is a Kubrick film. Oh, fascinating. A, on Paths of Glory, which is another Kubrick film. Kubrick. Kubrick. Not Kubrick. Uh, Lolita, another Kubrick film. Yes. Um, and then he was also a producer later. I mean, the guy's still alive. He's 94 years old. But in 2006, he was one of the producers for The Black Dahlia, which is another James Elroy story that we already kind of brought up. So, so, the, so clearly, the connections run deep. Yeah, so clearly, I don't know if that was Elroy getting him involved or the studio who picked up that script said, hey, this guy, you know, he's kind of old, but he worked with Elroy's script before, so maybe he knows how to write it or knows how to produce. I, I don't know, but it's kind of funny just like all the little like nepotisms in Hollywood where someone just gets a job because they know somebody or they, they did some they did some work with somebody and they always just get brought back. It's, it's just kind of funny. We see that here. So to touch upon... The story, I'm, I'm going to kind of throw it at you, Chris, and okay. make you do it. But after we, f- we find the first murder victim, from there, let's give a, a very, very, very brief kind of, not we don't have to go through every scene, but just a, a very brief synopsis of, so what, what's happening in this movie besides, it's not a movie just about a cop, right? It's not just about a cop. We discover from the first murder that, there is potentially a pattern of murders occurring. And James Wood's character is figuring this out based on his 
very insightful methods that we've already established. Basically, on very little on very little evidence, he 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 finds a pattern. Sorry, you're gonna say something. I was just gonna say almost like intuition. It's like he just knew. A lot of the times, it's almost like he just knew. Yeah, but it's it's like it's not it's not crazy either. Like it doesn't no it it doesn't make you disbelieve really what's going on. Like oh, he wouldn't really know that. No, like you you truly believe his character is good at what he does and that he's making these connections because they make sense. Right. Or they could make sense. Yeah. So that's kind of, there's a, there's a woman murdered. He, there's a letter written in blood sent to that woman's address after the murder, after the murder, kind of, he kind of just builds this case slowly going, you know, piece of evidence, piece of evidence. the the, The film is built with very subtle details. So while, while we're seeing all of this, drop in our lap slowly. I don't know if you would catch this on a first viewing, Ben, or if you sifted through the movie a second time after watching it the first time, but there's little details that you pick up on in the background of the movie that I didn't pick up the first time around. So this is, this is like the third or fourth time I've seen this movie. So can I guess one? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Joni Pratt played by Randy, Randy Brooks, which is a, is a huge looker, very beautiful woman. Yes. Um, I think they're talking about her character. There's either a voiceover or something, and she's walking in, looking good. Um, I don't know where it might be a train station or a post office or some kind of office building. Yes. And and um, I forget. It. I think I think James Woods kind of like just following her. And then follows her outside. He is. There was like a guy like watching them, right? Absolutely I, correct. I, yes. Yes. I saw. I picked up on that. It was like, wait, 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 wait. What, yes. what's happening right here? <laughs> I was leaving you a little bit in suspense there. Yes. So that might be a little bit more obvious. Maybe it isn't, but um, yes, there's a guy watching them. So that's that's like a perfect perfect example of seeing one of the subtle details. And, in, the, and in the movie with the, with, with the same character, Randy Brooks, jo- Joni Pratt's the character's name. Randy Brooks, Brooks is the actor. And when you look her up in the eighties, you'll know who I'm talking about. Very tall. I think she All had, she blonde. Probably died. I, it was either blonde or like cher- uh, strawberry blonde, but there's a scene where Mr. Mr. Hopkins or detective Hopkins is uh, cheating on his wife with her. And the camera kind of slowly pans, and you see the door move. Yes. I just kept doing a double. The yeah, there's no video on me right now. I'm just look, looking back and forth. I'm doing like a double take. Like, what, what the hell is that? And I kind of like, at the time when that was happening, I figured there was somebody there, but I didn't really know exactly who. If she was doing a, if she was scamming him or whatever. Well, it, was, it was just enough to leave you in a whole bunch of. It makes you wonder a whole bunch of crap right from the get go. Because you're like, what are they trying to do here? Is there someone there? Is she behind something? Because now at this point in the movie, you have multiple characters with a few different open ends and you don't know how they tie together yet. So you have all of these theories that you're crafting and you're trying to follow the story along with Hopkins, who's crafting his own theories. So 
again, it's the movie's brilliantly set up like that, but there's all these little moments that make you, they're not exactly red herrings or anything. They're just these little moments where you can interpret it differently or it just sort of makes you wonder like, why the heck am I looking at that? But that moment in particular with the door opening is a great example of how the movie sort of turns sinister or even a little creepy in a way because you have, we haven't mentioned the excellent music yet, but the score by composer Michael Colombier, I believe is his name. It's an excellent score. It's very subtle. And there's some of these really bassy brooding moments that build up the tensity. And when the door opens, that's one of those moments because there's a little, there's a slight, there's a slight musical score to that. When we pan from what Hopkins and Joni Pratt are doing in the kitchen to what's happening at the door at the other end of the hallway. I mean, yeah, it was weird, obviously, <laughs> but once that happened, it was creepy as hell. I that's, mean, that's I exactly li- what I mean. Yes. The movie has a lot of moments where you're, you're like, I don't know what's about to happen. And I'm, it's not a horror movie kind of feeling, but it's definitely like a, I do not know what to expect. I'm, I truly do not know what's going to happen. I can't guess. Cause exactly. it's just kind of, exactly. It's, but just, it, it's, it's floating there. It's just, it's just hanging in the balance and you don't know what's going to happen. Which makes it thrilling. It oh, adds. It's, it, it's it adds, fantastic. Yeah, it adds to the intensity because when you see, when you finally see any of the violence or the gore in the movie, it, it is, it is shocking. I mean, I'm like I said, I've I've seen this movie four times now, and the reveal of the first body still gets to me, especially when you're watching Hopkins' reaction to the body. Like all of that is great, and then the second or third time it pops up. You're just kind of like the music, the music, every time one of the bodies shows up, the music just hits you and it's, it's an excellent pairing of picture to sound. I don't know if you felt that way, but I think, Oh no, I, I think this, I think this movie would do well on like, give me, give me like three or six months between viewings and it would be really effective on a second viewing. Like I really think this would be, I think this movie would be better for me on a second viewing. That's what happened to me. This movie is so entirely rewatchable. It's fantastic because once you've seen it the first time, everything you're like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? So I obviously on a rewatch, you know, what's going to happen, but things hit you differently, but you're still also anticipating some really awesome moments and it doesn't lose its effect on the second time or the third time or the fourth time. Like I still get pumped every time all my favorite moments happen. No, I mean, are we, are we spoiling any moments or are we, what do you want to do here? I don't think, I mean, if you want to mention like a line or a scene with the exception, I don't know. Cause I want to talk about the ending. Let's talk about it. All right. All right. Okay. okay. If, it, if what we have said interests you at all, stop listening now and please go watch the movie. It is worth seeking out. Do not listen any further. All right. It has been said. Spoilers are coming. Very good. Okay. So we get after the scene when he's 
cheating on his wife for the second time, I think. Because he, I think it's assumed that, remember that little scene where uh, Lloyd Hopkins is and, and Dutch are in their car doing a stakeout and a suspect, yes. a suspect yes. comes up. He definitely, like, the suspect comes up with this girl. The suspect tries to kill him. They killed the, they killed the guy because he pulled a gun, um, obviously. Suspect was, was with a hot broad. Yeah, and Lloyd's like, all right, Dutch, like, what? I, I just killed her data. At least I can do is take her home. Like, clearly that was insinuated that, that, that he was trying to get with her, right? So It's insinuated, um, yes. So he did. I, I'm assuming he did because he's a sly. He's a sly guy, so... So the second time, after the second time, uh, we go through this big plot with another police officer, um, a feminist bookstore owner, which was who's also a poet, spe- sort of. Yeah, who, which was super specific. That's definitely James Elroy being funny. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't hope, know. I, I, hope don't. That, I, I hope that I hope that's in the original book. I yeah. hope that's in the original book. So, do you want to dig into that scene right now? Because that's the only oh my other, God. other other than the ending. This is the only other big scene I want to talk about because it was it, amazing. It was so a, funny. It's amazing. Yes, yes. I I'm just dying thinking about it. It's fantastic. Okay, I'll so, let you. If okay, you have some. Yeah, you go. You go. Okay, so we're just gonna talk about the scene. So at at this point in the movie, we have open subplots. We have a handful of characters off of the hunches and evidence that. Woods has has led him to this feminist bookstore owner's house. And this character is played by the lovely Leslie Ann Warren, who I think is f- so perfect for this role. I can't even begin to describe it um, because she's cute. She can also be sexy, but she's also Annoying. so perfect at playing <laughs> the timid, <laughs> a timid woman, for lack of a better word. So Woods crosses paths with her. He goes to her house. He needs to interview her for information because he has discovered some evidence that's leading to the women. The So there's actually a few characters that tie together here, but they all tie together to a high school in the area. And yes. Leslie Ann Warren's character, her name is Ka- Kathleen McCarthy. Her character is went to the same school as some of these other characters that are falling into the case. And as Woods uh, Hopkins is asking her questions about the case, he takes her out on a little date, if you will. But they end up going back to her house and the whole scene, she's a feminist, right? And (laughs) they're on a date, but of course... Hopkins is Hopkins. So he's sort of crude in his own way. He's He's just trying to get he's just trying to get with her guys. He, he's that, just trying it. to get laid, right? So he's being a guy in the most crude sense of the term. And meanwhile, McCarthy is opening up to him because she's very poetic. She's very in touch with her inner femininity and and she's I mean, she's getting serious at one point cuz she starts telling him about how she was raped and you know, she gets into some really deep stuff and all of this sort of pertains to the case at hand. We end up finding out. Yeah. So the funny part about the scene is he just wants to get laid and she's just pouring her soul out to him. At one point she gets a little upset, but then he's so suave that he ends up rescuing the scenario (laughs) 
and it leads off with them potentially hooking up but then it doesn't really happen can you can you imagine all right so she smokes that's just let's put that for context she's a smoker yes but like they're doing this conversation after like five minutes i mean it's five minutes it's a five minute scene they're about to you know he's trying to make his move he lights up yeah it's like it's like it's like foreplay right so then yeah continue he lights up a cigarette can you imagine lighting up a cigarette taking a puff or two and then just trying to like he kisses her but she yes. smokes too but like like just this like yes kissing someone with cigarette breath cannot be sexy ever never ever 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 but but he he does it and he's pretty successful well and he and he has some sly lines there which i'm not going to be able to recall off the top of my head oh she says something about how she wants to how she wanted to save her sexuality for Mr. Right. And that was at the time of her being in her youth. And it comes up and he's trying to be sly. And then he does that. He, he like gets close to her after he takes a. Mm. You actually believe in white nights and happy endings, don't you? Isn't that what every girl dreams of? Yeah. In the meantime, they're not saving it for Mr. Wright. Who said anything about saving it? Do you realize what a terrible waste that would be? We're gonna make love, aren't we? I don't think we should fight it. Do you? Where are you going? I just... Uh, I just want to take a, a hot bath and smoke some grass. I, I thought people usually smoked and washed after. Well, you wouldn't want me to tense up, would you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Jesus. they don't hook up exactly but the whole scene builds up to that and it's hilarious so sorry to our listeners if we haven't sold it but leslie ann warren is so perfect as this character and woods just plays his slimy somewhat charming self so perfectly that the scene is excellent but on top of it being funny this is the scene I was referencing in the beginning when we were talking about how I said there was another scene that was super important to the themes of the movie with disillusionment and how Hopkins is wired to an obsessive degree to defend women. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this bookstore, this feminist bookstore owner, she's very into poetry. But the whole story that she tells to Hopkins is literally filled with preconceived notions of how men should be, how she's looking for Mr. Right. And 
instead of getting all the things that she's ever dreamed of. She, I mean, she's basically the little girl that Woods is, that Hopkins is describing in the beginning. He calls all women. He says they all are just little girls because people in society are telling them that they have these illusions to live for and to look into. And it's just not reality. So when we meet Leslie and Warren's character, she's li- she's the, the embodiment of this disillusionment that his character brings up in the beginning that he fears for his daughter. He doesn't want his daughter. Wow. I did not connect that. So it's, it's, it's pretty brilliant, right? So she's, she's literally this example of the thing that he's fighting against. Um, and it's important because when she's going on about her story, she's talking about, what we find out who we find out is the serial killer. She's talking about the serial killer as some, and she doesn't know he's a serial killer yet, but she's talking about this guy. Like he is the perfect man because he writes poetry and he's so in touch with his inner self. And and like part of that is funny, but it, it speaks to, it just speaks to the whole theme of what cop is trying to say about how people have these, preconceived notions of other people and specifically for Hopkins it revolves around women so it's an it's an important scene and I don't know if you picked up on any of that Ben I think you just said you didn't but it's (laughs) when you watch it a second time I I didn't connect the character motivation for James Wood's character, Lloyd Hopkins. I did not, I did not connect that to um, this character. I mean, yeah. Now that you say that, it makes perfect sense. I mean, makes perfect sense. And let me reiterate again: this takes place in Hollywood, so it's it is literally the ideal setting to make a criticism of a place that is creating fantasies for people for whatever reason. And he is the guy who is trying to bring reality everywhere because reality is what exists. It's what we have to deal with. So he's trying to, he's trying to give everyone a good dose of reality. Like this is just the way it is. Like, I don't want to deal with bureaucracy. I don't want to have to get through all the tape. I just want to be able to get, do my job, get the bad guy and be done with it. So it's, it's an interesting it's all really interesting, and I think it's excellently done. Yeah, I mean, you're connecting dots that on a second rewatch, I'm going to rate it higher. Um, oh yes, but tonight <laughs> yes. I'm going to rate it. Th- I'm going to ra- I'm going to give you my original rating, which is still very good. Are, are you ready to rate, or do you want? Yeah, 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 no, no, no. We're good to rate because I'm ready to just rate this thing. Talk about the ending, and I think we can. Uh, I think we can let our listeners on their merry way. Yeah, I mean, guys. Chris gave me an excellent recommendation. Hopefully I can speak without mispronouncing the rest of my words. Cause there was a lot of a uh, word vomit today for me. Sorry about what that. Is, but what does Elroy yeah. say? We'll bring it in podcasting. You're fucked. Sorry. I, I don't know if we're allowed to yeah. swear. Oh, we'll just change I, the new R. I, I have done my fair share. I think besides Kevin saying shit, like literally one time, I think I've just I've said every curse word on the show, but I'm you just sorry. said fuck. So we're good. I, we're I, good. I, uh, see, I shouldn't have swore. I haven't sworn yet. Ah, oh, man. 
No, that's good. Don't make it a habit, man. I, I swear like a sailor because I just am around those type of people a lot. And it's a habit. It's a bad habit. It's a dirty habit. But it fits the theme of the movie that we're talking about tonight. Perfect. So I'm going to rate this thing. I was super close to rating it pretty damn high for me, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, But my one problem is it's weight. My one problem, which... I don't want to spoil any of the actual finding out what's happening in the movie for the listeners, but the, the convenience of like all the people being from the same high school was a little much for me, but maybe on a second, maybe on a second rewatch, it won't matter. So I am rating this thing, um, out of 10, it is an eight for me. It is very good. Yes. It is a very good slow clap. Yes. You can clap if you want. Uh, It is a very good crime movie. I, I'm pretty particular with mine because if they're too if they're too unbelievable, if I cannot the suspension of disbelief is a big thing for me. And and w- that line is very fine. So they did a very good job for this movie. I love James Woods' character. I mean, I don't want to be the guy, but very good character. James Woods was perfect for the role. Um Yes. Just trying to th- think of any any last thing I have to say about it before. Durning I, I is you... fantastic as his as his partner. Yeah, he's not in the movie much, but he his scenes when count. he is in the yeah when is when he when he's in the movie it's very good. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I think I I recommend this movie to people. I think that you should check out James Elroy's books because I'm I know I'm going to. Um, Excellent. Other than that, other than that, Chris, I'm gonna. Throw it, throw it back to you, and what do you yeah. have to say? Yeah, so um, first time I saw this movie was a little over a year ago. I gave it a four on my first watch. Second watch, I bumped it up to a four and a half. And then by the third watch, I gave this baby five stars because I'm just always admiring something new after every watch. And it is always thrilling. I'm still shocked every time I see the bodies because the combination of the picture with the music is it's just it's awesome. There's really all I can say about it. And the ending is just what defines the whole thing for me because you have these themes of fantasy and reality clashing with each other. And the James Woods cop has been put through the ringer more or less. He's he's still going through with every single one of his hunches because he knows just in his gut he's right. So he's... He's constantly engaging with reality and pushing off all sort all forms of disillusionment and people saying that he's wrong or that he's doing things wrong. And we get to we get to the finale where he's chasing the serial killer in the high school gym. And it's dark, very moody, darkly lit. He's walking from room to room. James Woods has got a shotgun, right? And basically there's just a little cat and mouse that happens in the gym. It's very well done. And he eventually gets the serial killer uh, at gunpoint. And Ben, I mean, do you want to, do you want to say what your reaction was at this point? Like were you, you did you, you had no idea what was going to happen, right? So, I tried to watch this movie with my wife and we watched the trailer. So I had a hunch what was going to happen. 
Okay. But the the way it was shot and just the suspense was very excellently executed. I when it happened, are we are we saying what happened? Well, we already spoiled I, I, parts of the movie, so I I was just gonna tell the ending at this point. I kind of I kind of want to just drop the soundbite in and just it's so good. Oh, dude, but, do uh, it, do it. I will, I will. Don't worry. But yeah, I was in my I was downstairs watching it in my um on my projector, and I'm just sitting up. And when that happened, I literally shot out of my chair. I was like, "Fuck yeah, that was awesome!" Yes, yes. It was. It was real. I mean, that really. I was I was hovering at like a seven out of a ten, yes. Up and that, to that point, because I was just a little, I was a little soured with that. Just the, the convenience. I I don't like convenient plots and the convenience of them all being from the same high school, and it was sure. a little too convenient. But with sure. that, it just raised the bar. Not eight out of ten. Highly recommend it. I'll let you finish, Chris. Yeah. So basically, he's got the guy at gunpoint. He drops this utterly badass line. I can just read the line. I don't know if you're going to, when are you going to play the soundbite? Don't even think about it. Get up. Well, well, what? Aren't you going to read me my rights? Cuff me? Take me into custody? Why, so you can sit in a nice, comfortable cell? Let your smart-ass lawyer cop an insanity plea? Is that the idea? Hmm? What's it to you, Hopkins? You're a cop. You gotta take me in. Well, there's some good news and there's some bad news. The good news is you're right, I'm a cop and I gotta take you in. The bad news is I've been suspended and I don't give a fuck. All right. So what do you what do you rate it, Christopher? Okay, so so he so he says that awesome line and he Yeah, he and he just he just blows the guy away with with the shotgun. Best And he fade, racks he, he and he, he racks, racks it, it one more time. And he racks <laughs> it one more best fade to black ever and best shotgun rack of all time. All time. I find it hard to beat. If there is other movie I'd, that beats I'd have it, to do some research. Maybe you have to do some research. I'm pretty sold on this one. So anyway, yeah, it was very good. Anyway, guys. So, so now my rating is a 10 out of 10, five out of five. I love this movie. I endlessly rewatchable for me. Um, I love getting down and dirty with this cop. So it's, it's just, it's an excellent movie. There's really no more I can say about it. And I hope that if you seek this out, it is currently on Tubi. Um, it's been on Tubi for the, at least the last year, so totally accessible in America. At least it's on Tubi, and um, I sh- I believe it's available to rent on Amazon Prime. Um, if you need it to, to find it there, Kino Lorber Blu-ray is highly expensive on Amazon because the Kino Lorber website is sold out, so it's like a thirty dollars Blu-ray. I oh, kind wow. of I kind of want it because. You get the commentary with the director, which I'm really interested in his thoughts. And I'm if he has any, yeah, I'm interested any in insight. Yeah, any insight he has to the production with just I don't know how um, involved James Elroy was or how James Wood was on set or just any act. Like, I'm just really interested in the production of this movie. So it's hard to pull the trigger on a thirty dollar Blu-ray from a movie that's 
that old, but you never know. I do have a a tendency to buy stuff I don't need, but on never that know note, with you, Ben. Never know. On that note, yeah, yeah. Like you know, Chris just sells everything to me. He's like, hey man, just buy this movie about sex. It's called Lust Caution. You'll you'll love it. <laughs> we do. Oh it my during, god. During during the recording, man. <laughs> oh, so on the on that note, I'm gonna say peace. Yeah, yeah. Good news is we've told you guys about cop. The bad news is we have to end our podcast. podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies you can find us on letterboxd ben at giant 13 chris at ziglet underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers film until next time people